8 ud af 10 personer har haft hovedpine i løbet af det sidste år. Ibren lindrer lette til moderate smerter, også hovedpine i op til 8 timer med to tabletter. Ibren er et lægemiddel, der indeholder ibuprofen. Væsentlige bivirkninger af maveblødninger, mavesår, hudledelser og allergiske reaktioner. Læs mere om Ibren på indlægssedlen eller emballagen og kontakt din læge eller apoteket, hvis du er i tvivl om noget. Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most, because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D. Today, I'll be continuing coverage of the Judge Rotenberg Center in Canton, Massachusetts. Let's get right to it. In the past six episodes, we've gone over the Behavior Research Institute, now known as the Judge Rotenberg Center, from its foundation all the way to present day. We discussed the FDA banning the use of electric skin shock devices on March 6, 2020. And we discussed that ban being overturned in July of 2021 by a federal appeals court for the D.C. Circuit. The ban was overturned in a two-to-one opinion, and that's where we stand today. According to reports, the number varies, but somewhere between 51 and 55 human beings in Canton, Massachusetts, are hooked up to these devices as I speak. And I want you to remember what we've all been told by representatives of the JRC. You know, like, this is a last resort. This is for people whom this is the only option. That without this treatment, these students would be drugged out of their minds and locked away somewhere in a state institution to never see the light of day again. That's their excuse. Well, that and that it's court approved. But I want you to keep in your mind today, according to Matthew Israel, the founder himself, speaking to Nightline, shock treatment with the graduated electronic decelerator has no detrimental effects whatsoever. And quote, the real torture is what these kids are subjected to without the program. They end up drugged up to their gills or in state institutions. I also want you to keep in mind that this isn't electroconvulsive therapy, or ECT, which is performed as a patient is under anesthesia. We discussed the differences in episode one, but remember, these students at the JRC are awake and aware each and every time they're shocked by staff, and this device was designed to inflict pain. That is its purpose. But what kind of person could do this? What kind of person can shock another human being? How does JRC staff itself? Are they all evil? Those are the questions I struggled with since the beginning of this case. It's clear Matthew Israel and Glenda Crooks and the leadership at JRC believe heavily in this form of therapy. But how in the hell did they get enough people behind them to staff a school? I read through the accounts of Greg Miller. Y'all remember him from previous episodes. He quit his job at JRC and became an outspoken critic and fought to have JRC shut down once and for all. But Greg wasn't alone. There have been others who have since walked away and spoken out against the Judge Rotenberg Center. In fact, midway through this series, a former employee reached out to me. We'll be calling this former employee, Employee X, to protect their identity. This former employee shared a perspective with me I hadn't gained speaking with or researching anywhere else, a perspective and an insight that gave me a deeper understanding of exactly how someone could be conned into thinking that they were actually helping the students by shocking them. X was employed at the Judge Rotenberg Center for eight months in the early 2000s. Employee X held the remote, pushed the button, and shocked people. And the entire time, thought they were doing a good thing. Here is their account. You've asked me to tell you about my experiences while working at JRC, so I'll do my best here. Let's see. The first thing I'd like to say that it wasn't until I came across Jen's YouTube many years later that I had any real idea of how terrible JRC is. While working there, I was led to believe that I was doing some real good for the students there, and I believed it 
with my whole heart. I'll explain. The first way that I heard of JRC was by word of mouth from an employee. She gave me the information and I went for the interview. Now first, there was no actual interview. The mock interview was set at an office building. I went in, sat at a table with other job hopefuls, and we were given paperwork about JRC. The man then spoke a bit about the job, the hours, the pay, and when training would begin. It was the following week at that same location, which was not the same property where the actual JRC school was and didn't have anything JRC in the address or on the building. At least half of the group didn't show up for training, and about four out of 15 were left altogether by the end of training. I only ever saw one of my group at JRC after that. Training lasted for two weeks, five days a week. We were shown videos of students that attended the school. And I want to note here, these are the same videos that we've talked about. Y'all remember Danny Oswald and the video where staff actually threw food around the room to make it appear Danny had done so, and how he was encouraged to pull hair while filming. Those videos, those are the videos Employee X is talking about. Deception runs deep at JRC, and it begins even before you walk through the doors of the school. Back to Employee X. We were told about the GEDs at length and how it helped the students to not be sat there drooling and not knowing their names because of strong doses of meds. We were given and encouraged the option to try the alleged GEDs out on our own bodies. I opted to on my arm. It did not hurt at all. I don't believe that this was even the GED. It only made my body jump a bit, possibly even out of anticipation. It was a strong vibration. It didn't hurt or leave a mark, didn't sting, nothing. This is largely why I never thought the students were being harmed while working there. And another note, according to reports, any demonstration of the GED device was always the original FDA-approved GD1. According to Greg Miller and others, at this time, JRC was only using the GED3 and 4 on its actual residents, which we know is far more powerful. Employee X went on to say, We spent five days training how to protect ourselves and the students physically. In a room adjacent to the meeting room was a larger one, cleared of all the furniture. We were taught to not stand with our backs exposed to students, to be aware of our and their body language. We were taught how to safely take them down. We were taught what to do if grabbed by body, hair, etc. As in how to stand and not be harmed ourselves. We were taught how to hold the student down safely. The student's safety appeared to be a clear focus as well as the staff's. And I don't remember the shock devices being brought up much at all after the previously mentioned demonstration. But it was also made clear that the students were a danger to others and to themselves. And that was why we needed this training, for working with students not in the GED program. We were told how strong and dangerous the students all were, and that it was our job to keep everyone safe, especially the students. I should also say this training was useful as I did have to take students that I was told were dangerous down often. I was taught what behaviors to look for before contracts were broken, getting out of chair without permission, swearing, what I know now to be stimming. I was also told that the students were in restraints because they were self-dangerous or dangerous to others, and that was also why they were receiving the shocks. Examples, pulling their jeans off their own bodies, making weapons out of forks or things that they had found, picking staff fridge up and throwing at people, making themselves blind with their own hands, pulling their own fingernails off, pushing intestines out of body and rubbing along floor walls and throwing feces, just to name a few. Jennifer Masumba was one of the students that the higher-up staff told me were among the most violent, most strong, and most suicidal. Of course, it didn't make sense, as so many staff seemed to care for her greatly and she herself was quiet and seemed sweet when she rarely did speak. But I shrugged it off and did my best figuring that they must know Jen better than I did, that there was more to it than I knew. Little did I know. And let me just say, JRC was right about one thing. Jennifer Masumba is one of the strongest humans I know. But we'll get to that in just a moment. 
Employee X reported that some students were in restraints 24-7, even while sleeping and showering. Some were only in restraints during transportation, but to me, the restraints made them seem more intimidating. Why else would they be restrained if not for good reason? I was far too trusting of that. One of the job duties that we had was a lot of paperwork. Among that, we were required, under clear threat of being fired, if not done, was to write up three staff a week, if not more. More was encouraged. We were encouraged to make up reasons if we couldn't think of any good ones. I was written up often, mainly for things such as talking with, trying to comfort an upset student, or chatting with them at all, or not applying the GEDs as directed as often as possible, especially for students that seem so nonviolent, such as the main client that I worked with. Let me say one more time, staff were written up for talking to, comforting, or chatting with a student. Oh, and for not shocking them as often as possible. And if they didn't do anything wrong, just make something up. Hmm, almost like if a student isn't displaying enough behaviors, just make some more up, you know, because you can't miss a chance for punishment of anyone. Employee X goes on to say, again, I had no idea how disgusting this was. As an autistic individual myself, not to mention a human, I never would have been okay with this abuse ever. I was always proud of having worked there for the eight months that I did. It was hard. The hours were long and being on edge for so long, believing that I and the staff and students were in real danger was exhausting. Of course, there was real danger. I just didn't know where to look. Having learned the dark truth behind those closed doors, I am so ashamed, filled with regret. I'm heartbroken that Jen and the other students go and went through something so horrid, so intentional, so preventable. All I can do now is to tell my story in the hopes that this story reaches as many as possible, and to share my side of things so it can be known that even the staff were kept in the dark about much of the horrors of that place, and not all of us are monsters. Again, all of this according to a former employee. Deception. Deception at JRC is at every level. Whether it's government officials, potential students and their families, staff, the judicial system, I don't think the leadership at JRC would know the truth if it walked up and laid their ass out. Deception before you're even on the property. I mean, imagine, it's your first day on a new job, and you have been told over the course of two weeks how dangerous these students are, how your very life and the lives of the students are at risk if you don't do exactly what you're told. Basically, any behavior is an antecedent behavior that must be corrected before anyone gets hurt. It's your job to keep them safe, after all. And if they weren't here with you, God knows where they'd be, heavily medicated or locked up and the key thrown away. This is the only option for them, you're told. You're saving a life. And these students, you see them and they're restrained wearing helmets. After they've just shown you a video, albeit a fake one, of severe self-injurious and aggressive behavior, what would you think? Other staff are watching your every move, waiting for you to slip up, so they can get one of their required write-ups. Admittedly, some students at JRC have emotional disturbances. They have been self-injurious or violent at times. But why? Has anybody tried to get to the why? Is anybody trying to understand? Is JRC really helping and treating the why? Or are they punishing without question and traumatizing their students further? Are the self-injurious and violent tendencies being treated at JRC? Or are they being exasperated by JRC's so-called treatment? Is it possible that these behaviors are being provoked by the very thing being used to correct them? Is this really it? Is this really a last resort for these students? Are our only two options only to heavily medicate or restrain and shock? Or with the proper professionals and an attempt to understand these beautiful souls, is a life outside the walls of the Judge Rotenberg Center possible?
Let's talk to a survivor of the JRC ourselves. Jennifer Masumba was a resident at the Judge Rotenberg Center from 2002 until 2009. She was on the GED4, the strongest device JRC had to offer, reserved according to the JRC for the most violent and self-injurious students. Since her escape from JRC, Jennifer has gone on to become an award-winning filmmaker, songwriter, and musician. She's a creator, too. Just take a peep at her YouTube, Instagram, or TikTok, and you'll find vlogs, short films, and just about everything else. She's an author with a brand new book dropping this November. Jen also happens to be a certified member of Mensa. She's the best Minecraft player in the world, if you ask my two kids. And despite everything she's been through, one of the most genuine and kind-hearted humans I've ever had the pleasure of knowing. Hey, Jen. Hi. So let's start from the beginning. How did you end up at the Judge Rotenberg Center? And I'm just going to give you the mic, girl, because nobody tells your story better than you. <laughs> okay, well, um, I had been in a series of residential homes and um, group homes and hospitals for years, like since I was 15 years old. And they were, it was never a good placement for me, a good fit. And it, I just ended up getting worse and worse with each admission. And it all culminated with me being in this, ending up in the state hospital. So it was pretty much, that was the end of the line for me. And then um, they caught wind of a place called the Judge Rotenberg Center and decided that that would be a good place for me to go because it would offer me supposedly more freedom, um, the ability to live in a less institutional setting. Um, and I would go on field trips and live in a house. And it was just supposed to be this amazing place. And when you first showed up, can you could describe kind of how it was as opposed to some of the other places you had been? Because I know that's like a huge part, how it's presented. So they first took me on a visit a few weeks before I was admitted. And when we walked in, I was like, whoa, it was, well, first of all, it was completely overwhelming and like overstimulating because they had like these huge Mickey Mouse figures and bizarre like pop-up art. And I was like, where am I right now? It was like, a, um, it was like almost like a fun house to me be compared to the hospital and other institutional settings. And they had this stairway that played the Coca-Cola song over and over and over. And they took us on a tour. They separated me from my social worker and my doctor who came with me. And they took me on a tour and they showed me like the big reward store. They gave me popcorn. They gave me Fruitopia. Remember that stuff? And um, they had like video games and they were just showing me all this cool stuff. And then they took me on a tour of some of the classrooms upstairs. And they opened the door to one of the classrooms. And like all of the kids in the classroom were typing on computers and staring at their computers typing. And when they opened the door, like the kids didn't even look up. And I was like, this is kind of weird. Like these are supposed to be like kids, you know, if you open a door to a classroom, they're all going to look and like say something or anything. But they like didn't speak. They were all quiet and the boys had ties on. And it was just very bizarre the way the kids were acting. And that was my first like. Something is not right here, but I wanted to get out of the state hospital and they had told me this place was going to be great. So anyways, we kept on with the tour. Little did I know in the other room, my social worker and psychiatrist were trying out the GED and getting like the rundown of the actual program I would be put through. And I'm sure they were talking about all of my history and everything that had happened in the hospital, which a lot of a lot of my episodes in the hospital were instigated by staff that would literally just instigate you for fun. So it's not accurate, like your history when you're in these places. It's not a fair assessment that they give you. But that's the way it was. So um, they met us back up and we left. I like I say in my book on the way home, a little bit of fruitopia came back up <laughs> from my stomach. Like I was, I was not, 
I was very uneasy about it. And they were discussing your program without you being present. So you didn't know at that time about the program or had they told you? Correct. I had no idea about the type of program this was. I had no like, um, what do you call it? Um, informed consent. And I was still my own guardian at this time, but they didn't tell me about their program. They didn't show me like a recording sheet or what this program was like. All they did was show me all the cool stuff they had. Okay, so let's talk about day one for you at the Judge Rotenberg Center. I arrived. They brought me in an ambulance. Um, They took me in upstairs and they put me in this little room with my case manager at the time. It was like some man. He was terrifying. And he like they were really cold. Like the when I went to visit, they were so nice to me, like really warm and inviting. But when I arrived as an actual client, they were cold as ice. Like this was the beginning of my quote unquote treatment. And he pulled out this pack of paper and he's just like, okay, if you do, and he's list, it was like just lists of words. And he said, if you do these things, these things, these things, these things, you will lose your privileges. You will be in trouble. Da da da. This is your behavior contract. Sign the paper. Like there was no, I don't know. There was no like tour. There was no easing into it. I was immediately in the program. And um, I, I'm sure they made me sign something. I was still my own guardian. It's very murky to me how it all went down. But I know going in, I was my own guardian. But then a few days later, somehow they had gotten a guardian appointed of me. But I'll get to that in a minute. Um, They took me downstairs to my classroom, which was a crisis classroom. And it was red mats all over the walls and floor. They sat me at a table. I had a one-to-one staff. And they literally, literally, they threw five towels, little washcloth towels in front of me and said, fold the towels, please. And I was like, huh? And they're like, no talking out. And I'm like, what do you want? No talking out. Work on your task, please. Fold the towels, please. So I'm like looking at these towels, which were folded until they threw them in front of me. And I'm like, oh, didn't know what, what they what they wanted of me. I was so confused. And so I started to fold the towels. I folded them all. And they're like, they're like, good job working on your task. They took them. <laughs> shook them out and threw them in front of me. They said, fold the towels, please. And that was going to be my task. That was my task to fold five towels repeatedly in that classroom. So almost immediately, I was like, what the actual fluff is going on here? I was so confused. I was getting yelled at for asking questions. It was bizarre land. And then there was other people around me doing the same thing. There was this kid next to me. He was like in some kind of weird contraption like a like a safety coat, but they were making him transfer foam balls from one bin to the other. So he was wearing a safety coat, like so it like covered his hands kind of. And um he had to pick up the balls from one bin and just put them in the other bin. And he was grown a grown man. And there were other students, some were working on like book work. It was just bizarre in that room. While and all the meanwhile, people are getting restrained in the middle of the room too. Restrained for what? Like um, they would drag people in from other rooms because that was a crisis room and just put them on the floor and restrain them. So I didn't even know what had happened. They would just burst in with different students and pin them to the floor in that room. And I also want to say that they forced me to put on an adult diaper. And I want to say not not one place in my history or records did I ever have a problem with incontinence or toileting, toileting, or anything. I believe they really just wanted to dehumanize me. Yeah. You're in this room doing this meaningless task of just folding towels when we all know, I mean, we all know what you're capable of, and just repeatedly. So that's day one. Like, day one. And, And so you weren't on the GED program yet. So let's talk about how we went from you know, meaningless work to actual the GED becoming a part of your of your program. 
Sure. Well, obviously the meaningless work didn't go over too well with me. Right. And I, and I can I re- imagine, Jen. I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. And I rebelled. I'm like, screw this. I just started throwing the towels around and they would rip me out of my seat, slam me on the floor and restrain me in this like safety coat thing. It's kind of hard to describe, but it's like a straight jacket almost. And then I would get up. Maybe I would have lunch. Um, work on the towels for a few minutes and then throw them again. And then I was back on the floor and, and that was just my day. Um, and in the evenings they would put me in full restraints, including a helmet. And they put me on the bus and we had assigned seats and the girls behind me would kick me in the back of the, in the back the whole time. They were just kids and they were just messing with me. And if I reacted, I would get in trouble. Like instead of controlling those girls, I would get in trouble for reacting. And so just little by little, I'm having all these quote unquote behaviors, but they're all being brought on by this system that they put in place. So I end up, my final program before the GED was to sit on the four point board, which is the board they restrain you to. And I had to sit there for 18 hours a day because we went to school from we got there at 9 a.m. and we stayed till 7 p.m. We didn't go to the house till it was time to go to bed. So I had to sit on this board and I wasn't allowed to like lean or anything. I had to sit straight up and it was agonizing on my back. It was so painful to sit in that position for that many hours with nothing to like lean on, or I couldn't stand up. If I moved too much, I would be restrained to the board. That would be considered aggression. Like if I tried to adjust or stretch, that would be considered aggression, getting out of seat. And they would then tie me down to the board, which was its own kind of pain. The wrist straps would be put so tight that my hands would go numb and I would be left there for at least two hours. Usually they would extend it to four hours. And that was my life until the GED. One day, about three weeks into it, a man came in to talk to me. He pulled up a chair next to my board and he said, how would you like to get up off this board and sit at the desk? And I said, well, heck yeah, that sounds good. And he said, well, in order to do that, you're going to need to go on the GED program. And I had seen some kids with the backpacks on in the classroom, but I'd never seen them get a GED. I was just kind of aware of kids wearing backpacks. I'd never seen it administered because the room I was in was mostly for new students or students that weren't on the GED yet. That's why they were like getting restrained extra. And, um, and I, I said to him the backpacks and he said, yeah, the backpacks. And I'm like, well, if I can sit at the tables, yeah, because this life was, was horrendous. It was torture already. And I wanted to get out of that life. And he said, okay, we're going to have to go to court. And um, then he left. That's all. He didn't like describe it to me. Again, no informed consent. I don't remember giving being given paperwork or anything like that. And um, a few days later, they a bunch of people came in to the classroom. They put me in all my restraints. And I'm like, where are we going? And they're like, no talking out. I said, where are you taking me? No, not minding your own business, which was hilarious because I think it is my business when you're scooping me up and taking me somewhere. Right. (laughs) So they dragged me out to the van and we drove for what seemed like two hours to uh, ended up at a courthouse. I didn't know where we were going till we got there, ended up at a courthouse. They took me inside the courthouse with a red karate helmet on my head, all these restraints like a prisoner. And sat me in front of a judge. There was a quick proceeding. I remember the the lawyers talking. And then they told them, they showed them this data sheet of the data from, from me. Aggression. Remember, the aggression was me adjusting myself on the board. All your behaviors, no matter what they were, right? Yeah. That's just like your behavior. Yeah. And they were into categories. So aggression we would think it's like me punching someone in the face, but aggression, according to them, is me adjusting myself on the board or, you know, any little thing that was under that category. So they tell the judge, oh, she's highly dangerous to herself and others, and we need to save her. And the judge just quickly, he didn't give a crap, banged his gavel, and that was it. And I still wasn't quite sure what was going on, but I had an idea that this was the program the lawyer was talking about. So they drove me back 
as soon as we got back, um, the, the classroom was empty. They had emptied out the classroom and there was my board sitting in the middle. They told me to sit down and my case manager, I had this woman now, they had switched out and um, she came in all happy. She was always so mean to me because I was always on like loss of privilege or whatever. She was like, hello, like in this sing-songy voice. She was all like happy. It was bizarre. And all these other staff came in and she had this backpack and it had all these straps hanging out of the bottom. They had cut holes in the bottom and there was just all these straps. And, and at the ends of the straps were these plastic pieces with metal circles and locks hanging off of them. I was like, oh crap. And they're like, um, they told me like, they were like very gentle about it. they're like, oh, lay down on the board. And then they locked my hands into the restraint board. And then they started putting these straps on me. And when they when they put them on, they were reaching in my clothes. Like they put the straps inside my shirt, down my pants. Like female staff had their hands like all down my body. It was dehumanizing. It was horrible. Just from that moment on, that was the very moment where it started. And they attached all these wires to me and were locking cuffs on to me. And then they told me to stand up and put the backpack on. And when I put the backpack on, I almost fell over backwards. It was so heavy. And then as if putting like icing on a cake, my case manager took one more strap and put it through the straps of the backpack in front of me. And pulled it really tight so that I couldn't get the strap. I couldn't take the backpack off. And she locked the strap. So I couldn't even get this backpack off of me if I wanted to. It was locked onto me. And all the devices, like the box, the they're like shaped like books, but they're like plastic, were poking me in the back. And they told me to sit at my seat and fold towels. And something told me like to just fold the darn towels because I was like, I was scared. Yeah, you didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah, but then we went to dinner. We came back and the nurse came in with medication that they were weaning me off of that I had been refusing this whole time. And she's, they gave me a direction to take the medication and I was like, no, thank you. And they, the staff looked at each other, kind of smirked. They looked at my sheet. They picked up this plastic this plastic holder that had my name on it. They opened it with Velcro. I remember that sound because I still can't hear that sound. And they pushed a button and I was standing up and the searing pain went through my lower leg and I, it like took me off my balance. So my leg kind of went up and I stumbled to the side and it, and it just kind of took me out of this world for a second. And then it stopped suddenly and they said, Jennifer, there's no refusing your medication. Take a seat, please. You lose you lose your privileges. That was day one. Day one. And so let's talk about the loss of privileges because they also have something at JRC known as the food contingent program. And I think there's been a lot of confusion about exactly what that entails. Could you explain the food contingent program for us? Yes, I was placed on the food contingent program about maybe two months after I was placed on the GED. I was also approved for the food contingent program. And um, because because I was trying so hard not to do like my impulsive, um, like because I was being it was so loud, I wanted to cover my ears. I was no longer allowed to touch my ears. I would get shocked for like plugging my ears or closing my eyes. So I was trying so hard to deal with this overstimulation in the workshop I was in, which had like 30 students getting yelled at at once. We were we were bundling popsicle sticks. There was noise. There was popsicle stick dust it was just chaos in there and all I wanted was to quiet my ears and I couldn't so I started with other behaviors like repeating myself to try to calm myself so I'd be like it's okay it's okay it's okay it's okay well that be that was counted as a verbal behavior which wasn't a GED behavior so I was relying on that behavior to calm my other more behaviors that were being controlled with the GED. So what happens is you develop other behaviors you never had because you're trying so hard not to do the ones that you're getting shocked for. So you end up having all these verbal, you end up having all these verbal and physical, like what they call ed social behaviors, like 
my hand movements, all that increased because I'm trying to calm myself. And so what they did to control my verbal behaviors and my physical Mm, like stimulating behaviors was to put me on the food contingent. And what they did was they gave me like this lunchbox and inside the lunchbox was breakfast and breakfast. Let's say it was French toast. They had cut up my French toast into like 10 portions. So each like get those little cups, like from the restaurant that they put salad dressing in. And there would be a little bit of French toast in each cup. So every 30 minutes, if I didn't do a verbal behavior or a a movement behavior, I would earn one little cup of my breakfast. And that went all the way to lunch. Then at lunchtime, it started over with little pieces of lunch and then dinner. And then at the end of the day, whatever I didn't get to eat, like whatever calories I missed were made up in what they call LLP food, which is chicken, spinach, and potatoes, which normally would be okay. But then what they do is they douse it in liver powder and stir it all up to make it completely impalatable. I couldn't, I would throw up just smelling it. So I couldn't even eat it. Um, so I was just literally starving every day. And the hungrier I got, the more I moved, the more behaviors I had because I was so hungry. My brain wasn't operating. And yeah, that's the food contingent program. And so I just want to point this out. You were never sat down and ate a meal in the sense that a normal person would sit down and eat a meal. It was always divided up into the cups as long as you were on that program and you got a bite, what, every few hours? Like we're talking a bite of food. Bite of food. And and I was also forced to go to the dining room with the other students and watch them eat their full meals. I had to sit there and watch them eat. (sighs) I mean, y'all, I know this story and ever so often I just... I'm rendered speechless that that this happens. This happened in the United States of America. So let's talk a little bit more about daily life on the inside. So you're you're on the GED shocks and and you're on at some point you were placed on the most powerful shock, which is the GED four. When was that? And what what was their excuse for placing you from the GED one, which is the only FDA approved device? I want to go ahead and make that very clear. The GED three and four. And anything else that they've used at JRC are not FDA approved. And we went over that in previous episodes. But you were actually on the GED4, the most powerful device. How did you end up there? So actually, they don't even use the GED1. Everyone starts out on the GED3A. And that's what I was on. So the 3A is, I believe, like you said, is not approved. Only the one, which they don't use. I'm not exactly sure, but I know the batteries and stuff said 3A. Um, so I was on those for years. Um, I went through different different kinds of programs. They tested out different things. The food contingent ended up not working on me because they um like I would I would just go not eating like and then they switched over to a vegan diet and like the food was no longer rewarding at all. No one even wanted to eat period. So I ended up getting out of that only because of that diet change. And I was like, I don't want this anyway. So screw it. Um, And um, but then they put me on. uh, I started getting real more health dangerous to myself because I was wanting to die. Right. I just wanted to die. And I was banging my head in frustration. Um, For example, staff would talk all night in my room and I had to sleep with the lights on. There was alarms going off because everyone had motion alarms over their beds. I had to keep my hands over the covers. I couldn't sleep like that. And staff would talk in a full conversation mode. And they had put on my program that if I had one health dangerous behavior, I would be placed on the four point board and be shocked five times in 10 minutes without knowing when the shock was coming. So they had put that in my program. Um, My anxiety just went through the roof and I was also getting bathed on the four point board. I was not allowed to bathe myself. The staff were taking off my clothes. They were washing me up. If I was lucky and the staff was someone I knew they would give me the washcloth so I could clean my most private areas but some of them were so mean and they would do that and there was men watching on the cameras how do I know that because one day I was screaming the r word and you guys know what that word is if you can imagine what I was going through what was going through my mind and 
a male staff called up from monitoring and said she needs to be shocked for screaming. So they shocked me for screaming and I heard his voice over the phone. He was watching what was going on in that room while I had no clothes on tied to the four point board. I know that's a lot to digest, but it needs to be told because I'm not the only one they did that to. And there's a good chance they're still doing it. So I want to make that clear. And I want to make it clear that you're on the GED board. And so, and we've talked about this before, but both arms above your head um, and separate restraints, both legs and separate restraints. And I'm on my back. I'm on my back, not my stomach. Completely exposed Mm -hmm. um, and getting a GED, what they call a GED bath, correct? No, this was a four point bath. A four point bath. But the Mm -hmm. GED device was still connected. Yes. To you. And that was like, that was another form of punishment. Yes. If I was on loss of privilege, that's how I had to take my bath. If I had my privileges, then I took a GED shower, which was where one arm was restrained outside of the shower in a cuff. And then I had only one arm to wash my body with, but at least I had, was able to wash my own body and I was under the shower with the shower curtain and all that. So that was actually supposed to be my privilege was to bathe that way. So it was a privilege to bathe with an electric skin shock device strapped to your body. Yes. I'm so sorry, Jen. Let's talk about how you got out because you did get out. And we all know that you, girl, like your your amazing list of accomplishments and just, I mean, I'm at a loss for words at at what you were able to overcome and and come out on the other side. So how did you get out? Okay, so I'll start from the GD4 because you had asked me about that. I was, um, (laughs) so I started to really like lose it. And they had taken away my home visits because they said I was quote unquote running wild. And running wild meant my mom wasn't making me have a bedtime and she was letting me drink caffeine. That was running wild. So don't forget, I'm 30 years old. Right. And so they, yeah, so they took away my home visits for like an entire summer and I just lost it. I, I, that was the only thing I was living for was to go home for the weekend and get a break and be, see my mom and just have a break from all that. Um, so one day my psychologist came in and she talked to me briefly and I said, well, when can I start going home again? She says, I don't know. It's going to be a while. And I just... I just lost all heart then. So she walked out of the room and immediately after one of the staff told me to step up and get weighed because they weighed us every week, I guess, because they were starving us. They had to keep track. And so I stood up. I started walking towards the scale, but something in me just clicked and I took off like a bat out of hell. And now I've been working out at the gym, running on the treadmill. I was in shape. And I ran down the hallway and the students are just like, like watching me go by and like smile. Like I can see them like smiling. And then I hit the back door, bam. And the um, fire, the fire door alarm goes off. And I just know everyone's behind me and I'm running. And then I hit this big hill because it was like down a steep hill that the building was. And I'm running up the hill and right towards the top, I run out of steam. And then bam, out of nowhere, bam, this big old guy tackles me into mulch. They grab me up. They drag me to the crisis classroom. I'm like, this is not going to be good. They shocked me in there. And then they put me in restraints for 24 hours a day. I had to stay like that. My lawyer came in couple days later, he said, they want to put you on the GED4 because they feel like the G- the regular GED is no longer effective, i.e. it's not hurting me enough anymore. Because it really, I really had gotten used to the pain. You do, you adjust. And um, I, I didn't show much of a reaction when I got shocked. Number one, because I didn't want to give them a reaction. So I took it on the inside, like all that pain of me wanting to scream. I held it in because that was my only thing I had control of. Like, I'm not going to give them the satisfaction of watching me scream and cry. But number two, I had also started to get used to the pain of it because you just adjust. You adjust to anything. So when he told me that they were also going to do a guardian hearing and I said, well, I want to become my own guardian. And he said, he kind of laughed. And I said, no, I really do. He said, well, then you can come to the hearing if you like. And I said, yeah, something just told me to get in front of that judge. It was like something 
I usually just let them go do it because I knew I wasn't going to win. But this time, I, w- I just went again for that judge. So they put me on the GD4, um, and then they scheduled my, my guardian hearing. And I went to that guardian hearing. And also my mom and my brother showed up because they had been trying to get guardianship of me too um, because they had me on like a, a, a stranger guardian. And he just signed whatever paperwork JRC wanted and it was allowing this to all happen to me. So I had written a statement to the judge. I read my statement and he said, did you write that? I said, yes. He said, you wrote it yourself. No one helped you. I said, yes. And he said, this woman is very intelligent and she seems very reasonable. I don't understand what's going on here. I don't understand why she's on this treatment. And then they gave reasons for why I was on the treatment. And he said, well, we had a recess and my lawyer told me that my, the judge was wanting to make my mom and brother, my guardians that day. If I, if I just agree to it. And I said, yeah. And the judge banged his gavel and made my mom and my brother my guardians. And from that day forward, they worked to get me out of there. First, they went through my program. They said, you can no longer shock her on the board. You can't shock her on her fingertips, her feet. Like She can only wear two devices because the backpack was so heavy. Um, they changed a lot of things. And then they worked on finding another program for me. And that program is where I'm still at today. So let's talk about your family for just a second. Your mom is incredible. Um, I think we all love Miss Masumba. For a lack of better words, because I think that's exactly what it what it is. How was she tricked into keeping you at the Judge Rotenberg Center? Because it wasn't, you know, she didn't fully understand getting into this program, what it was about. And then it wasn't instant for you to get out. Like you said, they had to work towards getting you out. So what was JRC saying to your family in order to keep you there? So they were telling my mom that if she took me out of that program or took me off the GED, that I would most definitely kill myself like by accident, by self-harming, or that I would end up in a state hospital drugged, drooling on myself and in a corner. And those were the only two outcomes that could possibly happen if she took me off of that program. And don't forget, she's she doesn't know me anymore. Like she has barely had regular contact with me only what they're feeding her so she's thinking of me when I was in the state hospital and I weighed 300 pounds and I was drugged up she's thinking oh my gosh that's going to happen to her again because at GRC like I had been taken off the medication I had lost a lot of weight physically I was much healthier but mentally emotionally I was I was done I was I was devastated I was traumatized Um, so she was just like, had this fight within herself about, she didn't want to be responsible for taking me out. And then I die. And I mean, they, they pounded this into her mind. She just told me the other day, she says, Jen, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I, I wanted to listen to you, but they kept telling me that you would die. If I took you out, they kept telling me that. And that's by design. So I think another thing needs to be pointed out is the fact that home visits are something you earn. So there were points in time at JRC where you were not allowed to go home because, you know, you were going to run wild with the caffeine and the no bedtime. Mm -hmm. So by design, they take the child from the parent. Yeah. Oh, and my my phone calls were all monitored. So if I have when I try to tell my mom what was going on, like if they had just one time they shocked me in my sleep. I was dead asleep and they shocked me for something earlier in the day. And I wanted to tell her about it. And they told me if I didn't change the subject that I would have to hang up the phone. So I was only allowed to tell her like nice things. You were only allowed to say what JRC allowed you to say, yes. even even on the phone, even in. And, and I imagine that it was scary on home visits, too, because if they found out that you had said yeah. something. Yeah, I was punished. Exactly. I was terrified because they would scare my mom into telling them everything that happened. She would have to report the entire visit, what time I went to bed, like what I ate, what I drank, like everything to them. And so I was scared on home visits as well. I like their control extended all the way to my private home. Wow. And so when you did get out, what was the transition like going from absolute control to freedom? Because I know where you are now. You have freedom as you should. Well, um, it was actually, you'd think it'd be like a Cinderella story, but it wasn't. Um, it was terrifying. Um, not having the shocks on. I just, 
didn't know what to do with myself. I didn't know. It was like, it was like if you were wearing a weight for seven years, like a, like a 20 pound weight. And then all of a sudden someone takes it off. You're going to want to like dance and run around in circles. Like that's how I felt. But in a scary way, um, I, I didn't know how to control myself. I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't trust anybody. I was scared to speak because I was always, I was always getting in trouble for repeating myself or my, the way my voice sounds or verbal repeating or nagging or whatever it is. So I had stopped talking or socializing. So like my staff would ask me what's wrong when I would start to get upset here in my new program. And I wouldn't want to tell them because at JRC, they're not allowed to talk to you about what's wrong. Staff can't ask you what's wrong. All they can do is react to your reactions. So I, I wouldn't, I didn't know how to express my, my thoughts or my feelings. And I would just react because that's what I've been trained to do. Simply react. You can't talk about feelings. You can't express yourself or tell a staff it's too loud in here. I need to leave the room. And also at JRC, if they find out what bothers you, if they find out what your triggers are, they use that against you. Like if noise really bothers you, they'll literally like bang something, like they'll put you in a noisy situation to punish you. Whatever bothers you, they use as a punishment. So I was careful to keep my thoughts and my feelings and what truly bothered me inside secret from them. So when I came to my new placement, it took, I had a very patient staff. Her name was Danielle. Thank you, Danielle. And she worked with me for years and she was patient with me. It took a lot of patience with a lot of people, um, a kind case manager, um, a doctor that I did get put back on medication, but slowly and only a very minimum what I needed because I have very bad OCD. And also I was on one other medication and it helped me to control myself. It helped me with my thoughts to stop going so fast. And then between the medication and them actually helping me, talking to me when I needed to talk, helping me when it gets too loud, my staff would say, is it too loud in here? Because we can step out like what a concept, like, oh my gosh, what a freaking concept, right? So in that way, I just started getting better. And I think that's something that we kind of glossed over is how the staff interacts with the students at JRC. So there's no there's no talking. I would compare it to almost cult-like. There's a language for everything. There's a new word for everything. Like, you know, a shock isn't a shock. It's what do they call it? A application, application of the GED. What, a punishment is a consequence. A pun- so they change the language. And the staff speaks to you and these, I mean- they kill me with the grammar, honestly, because it's like so backwards and these phrases. So for example, you were told, you know, Jen, there's no, there's no working without stopping or can you kind of explain that real quick before we move on? Because that has bothered me. Yeah. So it's like, Jennifer, there's no stopping work. Jennifer, there's no not following a direction to, to, to stop, to stop work. With Jennifer, there's no following a direction to bundle sticks, bundle sticks, please. And I mean, and then, and when you do good, this is literally what they say, Jen, super girl working on your task or to the guy, super guy, super boy working on your task. I'm like 30 something years old and they're calling me super girl. Like it's dehumanizing. <laughs> right. And then we talked about a story once where you read like three lines on a paper. Yeah. They had given me a job that was supposed to be like a very like, coveted job, which was putting together applications for the staff, like stuffing the different paperwork together. And I had a question and I asked the lady that was overseeing me. I read like a sentence from the the paper and she's like, very good job. Did you read that yourself? Good job reading that. And I'm like, oh my God, get me out of here. (laughs) Can I just say a member of Mensa? We're talking to a member of Mensa. Super girl for reading though. Oh man. Is there anything else you would like to add about your time at JRC? I think it speaks for itself. I don't even think you need to like try to convince people like this is wrong or that it's bizarre or cult like. I do use that term. I said like, I didn't say a. I felt like you might wonder like who can possibly work here. There was really two types of staff that would end up staying there. Most staff would walk in with like these crazy eyes, like, oh my goodness. And I'd seen some run out crying. The other, a lot of them go to lunch and don't come back. Um, but the ones that would stay were either the really 
sick ones that enjoyed what they were doing and punishing consequences and applications. And then there was some staff that were actually pretty nice and they would like secretly try to help you. And I had a bunch of staff like that. Like they would like come up and like pretend they were fixing something, but they'd whisper in my ear. They'd whisper in my ear. They'd be like, Jen, just calm down. Or they're, they're, they're thinking about, they're going to give you a shock or they'd like tell me ahead of time. Or when they were doing the food portion program, they would like sneak me food. They put Ensure in a cup and say, act like it was water. So there was like two types of staff that worked there. I just wanted to, because you might wonder like, who are these people? And those were the two types of people. And that type that was helpful had to hide from the others. So we have like our Matthew Israel, Glenda Croaks and those, you know, yeah, um, people, if you want to call them that. Mm-hmm. And then we have those who who probably started because they truly thought they were helping and then, yeah. you know, thought maybe staying, they could help you more because like you said, they could feed you. So are you aware of any other former students, and we don't have to talk names, who have escaped the JRC and went on to thrive at other placements? Um, I know, like, I, I'm, I'm Facebook friends with a lot of um, students that were on the GED. And I see like some of them have kids and, you know, are living their lives out there. I've also had some students that were there, especially ones that were there since they were kids, and they finally get out. And they'll like contact me on Facebook. And I can tell that they're just not okay. That it just did something to them, you know, because um, so there's like two kinds of people that come out of there. Either you come out and you, you, you're able to get out of, get out of it and survive. Or I see some people that have been like severely affected the other way. Okay. Let's, let's move on to the good stuff. Tell us about your life now. I mean, I'm blown away by how much you've accomplished and you always like to act like it's no big deal, but what are you up to these days? So these days I am surrounded by my musical instruments, which at JRC I had to earn to play an instrument, just time on the piano I had to earn. Now I'm surrounded, like I'm looking at a guitar, a bass, a piano, a ukulele, just like literally around me, which is my happy place. I'm I'm writing music um, for film and television. I'm trying to get into the sync world to make my own um, make my own independent become more independent. I wrote a book called Shouting at Leaves, which comes out in November. I'm a filmmaker. I write scripts. I make films. I won the Easter Seals Disability Film Challenge Best Film in 2020. And I, I go to church. I'm on the worship team at church. I made my own friends. I have a whole circle of friends that I made on my own. I'm not drugged up in jeweling. And I am not harming myself. I'm healthy and well and very happy. And can we just talk about Lemonade for like 2.5 seconds? Mm -hmm. So if y'all don't know about Lemonade, (laughs) she is the cutest thing. Yeah. And I'm also allowed where I live. They decided that it would be um, good therapy for me to have my own dog. So I have um, a dog. Her name is Lemonade. And she is amazing. (laughs) She is. So we talked about the book. Where can everyone find the book, your music, the films, everything? Like where would be the like place where everyone can go to follow you? Um, if to get the best of to see everything at once would be my website, jennifermasumba.com, just my name.com. And that can lead you to whatever you wanted to see in my book, my music, my vlogs, my films. It's all there. I think I speak for everyone when I say that your strength and courage is unmatched. You are a force to be reckoned with, and everyone should hear your story. You really are incredible, Miss Masumba. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to share your story. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for giving me this platform and for caring so much about the situation and dedicating episodes to it so that the world can know the whole story and not just a glimpse here or a video here, but know from beginning to end that this needs to stop. Y'all, if you haven't yet, go find Jen on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, wherever. You won't be disappointed, believe me. I know when things get tough in this job, nothing soothes my soul more than hopping on Jen's feed and jamming out to her latest or popping in to see what her and Lemonade are up to. 
As beautiful as Jen's story is, we can't forget that there are still human beings strapped to electric skin shock devices in Canton, Massachusetts today. We have to end this now. Let's end it for Andre McCollins and Jennifer Masumba, for Ian Cook and for Luigi. Let's end it for those who have been subjected to this torture for years with no end in sight. Let's end this nightmare in honor of those who didn't have a chance to escape and lost their lives at the Judge Rotenberg Center. For Danny Oswald, Vincent Militik, Abigail Gibson, Linda Cornelson, and Silverio Gonzalez. Let's take a stand against the Judge Rotenberg Center and protect those who cannot protect themselves. Share this story. Use the hashtag StopTheShock. Sign the petition. Go to judgerotenberg.center to email, call, or tweet Massachusetts lawmakers. I'll link that in the show notes. Get loud. Get angry. Our voices are being heard. I'm taking a stand. Some of those in the field of behavior analysis are taking a stand. Jennifer Masumba took her stand. Will you? My name is Leah D., host of Least of These Podcast, and I stand against the JRC. My name is Samantha Parnum. I'm a board-certified behavior analyst, a certified clinical trauma specialist, and the co-host of Hops and Hooves Podcast, and I stand against the JRC. My name is Brian Middleton, also known as the Bearded Behaviorist. I'm a board-certified behavior analyst and licensed behavior analyst. I stand against the Judge Rotenberg Center Stop the shock. My name is Eric Zeisig. I'm a board-certified behavior analyst and president of Hops, Hooves, and Humanity, and I stand against Judge Rotenberg Center. Hello, my name is Tara Vance, and I'm the founder and CEO of Neuroclastic, the world's largest autistic-led nonprofit organization. We have over 500 autistic contributors in six continents, and unanimously, we stand against the Judge Rotenberg Center. Autistic people deserve better than to know that their government sponsors state-sanctioned torture against them. Name is Sarah Hart. I'm an autistic BCBA, and I stand against JRC. My name is Summer Mingo. I am a board-certified behavior analyst, and I stand against the Judge Rotenberg Center. I'm Jennifer Masumba survivor, author, musician, filmmaker, and I stand against the Judge Rotenberg Center. As always, you can find more information on my Instagram at least underscore of these or my Facebook at least of these. New episodes drop every Thursday. Believe me, you don't want to miss next week. More information can also be found at autistichoya.net. Lydia Brown has done an amazing job of creating a living archive of Judge Rotenberg Center's abuses. I'll link that in the show notes as well. So much information can be found there. You can also go to Occupy the Judge Rotenberg Center on Facebook. The folks at Occupy the Judge Rotenberg Center have been at the forefront of this battle for over two decades. Check out The Bearded Behaviorist over at beardedbehaviorist.com. Sam and Eric over at Hops and Hooves, a humanity podcast and Tara Vance over at neuroclastic.com. I'll link all these sources in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. Today, I leave you again with the amazing Jennifer Masumba and her all-new song, There Once Was a Flower. Take it away, Jen. was a flower wilted and dull and it sat in the shade with the crabgrass and mulch in a city that moved too fast to notice its colors yeah it stretched and it strained to reach towards the sky but the concrete buildings were blocking the light and the flower grew sad and dry and turn to see Then the wind came along one morning
rain in June and picked up the seed with its whistling tune and carried it far from its place where it was forgotten. And now there are flowers in a once empty field where kids come to play and life loves to bloom and the sun shines on all of the land watching them grow see the city it never knew what it had now the flower has blossomed all over the land and it's spreading its joy its life and its color don't ever feel small, you've got life in your bones, you've got something to share even if you're alone, so just spread your love and you will.